Proverbs 23, verse 7. And I would like to say it is good to have Brother and Sister Nix with us. And I think uh, Brother Nix's father was missionary to Peru. Is that correct? All right. I very well remember Brother and Sister Nix coming by. And they left a little, uh, just a, a little brochure type thing with us. And we still have that. And I, it was just a unique thing. Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And that's all I care to read from this scripture. You may be seated. Uh, I will just pick up on the statements that I was making. It's, it's amazing how many people are entrapped by their thinking and they seemingly uh, cannot get beyond that particular mode of thinking. I know a, a very good friend of mine, an outstanding preacher, was asked to preach all over the United States, but he had a phobia. He wouldn't fly in an airplane. Now, <clears throat> he may have had some justification in his feelings, I'm not saying, uh, or I'm not faulting the individual, but because of the long-distance driving that many of the invites that he had required, he uh, turned them down, was not able to share his ministry. Now, most everybody has some type of phobia. Children, for the most part, don't like to go into the dark. When I was a child, I didn't like to go in the dark because I, afraid, I was afraid somebody would jump out and gobble me up. <clears throat> I don't like to go in the dark today for a different reason. I'm afraid I'm going to stumble and fall into something and hurt somebody else or hurt something else. <clears throat> but uh, I'm not afraid of the dark from the standpoint of something being out there. Most of the things that are out there at night are out there in the daytime, too. It's just that the light takes away the fear. Some people are afraid of close quarters, claustrophobic. They don't like to be. Everybody has some some different phobias, most everybody. Uh, sometimes it stems from some childhood experience. Uh I got a phobia, it's just kind of a crazy one, you know. I just I'll tell this so you remember this message. Yeah. When I was a child, I stuck my finger in a fan. I saw what it did to it. I've always been afraid of fans. Now, there's one right above my head. And, uh, <clears throat> my greatest fear on the earth is that I'll be underneath one of these fans when the rapture takes place. <laughs> That was just a joke. <laughs> but isn't it amazing, though, really, that, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that some people can be so controlled by the way they think. 
Now, I know that books have been written about this. Napoleon Hill wrote a book entitled Think and Grow Rich. And he wasn't basically just talking about making a lot of money, but whatever you consider wealth as being, whether it be uh, something that is abstract or something concrete, whatever you think it is, you must get your thinking right in order to see the fulfillment of that dream. It's got to be that way. I remember years ago reading a story about Jack Nicholas, and of course Jack Nicholas was and still is a great golf player, all-time champion of so many people, and of course winning so many great tournaments. But he said, if I had a choice about how I wanted to play golf, he said, if I had to go out and play under a lot of stress where I had things on my mind, and if I went out and practiced a half a day beforehand, he said, I would rather sit in my office and think about playing. I think I can do better, he said, if I just sit and concentrate on playing. I can do a whole lot better just by thinking about it with a good clear mind than I could going out and practicing for it when I couldn't get my mind on it. He said, in fact, I have proven over and over that I can swing the club a whole lot better when I'm just thinking about how I swing it rather than practicing the swinging of the club. Of course, ideally, is to go out and practice when you got your mind, when you're thinking about what you're doing. And I know that all of us have various and sundry tasks in life that, that we have to think about. And we do other things and we're just preoccupied. I get uh, very preoccupied with things. I remember Sister Bryant years ago when she was the treasurer of our church going to Sister Grant and telling Sister Grant something. Sister Grant just looked puzzled and said, you should tell Brother Grant. She said, I did, but he was not listening. <clears throat> so I could tell he wasn't because he had this strange faraway look. He looked way past me when I was telling about this. It has been said that physically you are what you eat. Now, uh, <clears throat> I've wondered about that a lot because my wife and I basically eat the same things. Uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> but nevertheless, uh, <clears throat> nutritionists tell us that it, that it is really that way. And psychologists tell us that we are what we think. Not what we think we are, but we become a product of our thinking. I do believe that Scripture bears witness of this. Let me just show you something about the vicarious suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter uh, <clears throat> chapter 2, we'll be talking about the Lord and the way he thought uh, quite a bit in this message. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 19, 
Uh, of course, uh, let me just say while you're turning there, he talks about submitting ourselves to every ordinance of man. He talks about submitting ourselves to the king, to governors. Uh, he also talks about servants submitting themselves to their masters, which in our case would be an employer-employee relationship, an employee with an employer. And then he talks about uh, the, the love that we should have for the brotherhood, and then he talks about fear God and honor the king. And then verse 19, he said, For this is thanksworthy, thankworthy, pardon me, if a man for conscience sake toward God endureth grief, suffering wrongfully. Now he's what he's doing, he's he's saying that that there are situations in which you feel totally entrapped by circumstances that you have no control over. But I think as as we go through this you will you will understand my point in this message. When you are entrapped by circumstances you have no control over, what is the key to becoming victorious in that? The key is how you think when you're involved in this. All right? For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently, but if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. All right? Now he talks about the vicarious suffering of Christ and the vicarious and you'll hear uh, preachers using this all the time. You hear radio preachers using it a lot. Vicarious suffering simply means that Jesus suffered wrongfully taking somebody else's place or standing in somebody else's stead. Now, it, there's one thing to suffer for your own mistakes, but to suffer for somebody else's mistake. In other words, the blame is placed on you. And this is what, what the Bible is talking about, the vicarious suffering of Christ. Verse 21, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And then verse 24, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. So the scripture is saying he took our place. He was doing all this for us. He did not have to do it for his sake. He could have called 10,000 angels to have delivered him from the cross. But uh, Jesus suffered wrongfully. He took our place upon the cross. Now, when you look at a situation like this, someone suffering for something that they did not do, I suppose that you could not create a circumstance that would breed bitterness in an individual more than a situation like this. I mean, to suffer and know that you have done something wrong is one thing, but to suffer when you know you have not 
done anything wrong. And, of course, bitterness is the end result of an unforgiving spirit. You remember when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Wasn't that what he said? And you will find that when Jesus came down off the cross and when he met with his apostles, when he met with his disciples, he did not talk about the injustice of his trial before the high priest or before the governor, uh, Pontius Pilate. He didn't talk about that. That was So just by reading the Scripture, you know the reason why, that Jesus was able to suffer wrongfully for something he did not do is because he, didn't, he was not captured by the thoughts of doing something for someone else or for suffering wrongfully or standing in someone else's stead. Now, had he have kept his mind on that, the story might have been somewhat different. But uh, the reason why that Jesus Christ was able to dismiss it was because that he had a deeper understanding of what was involved. Hebrews 12, verse 2, the Bible says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So Jesus knew that there was another dimension of it uh, most people would never see that other dimension. And sometimes you don't see it because you would not be able to see it nor understand it because we see through a glass darkly. And people who always ask the question why, usually down life's road they are tripped up with some circumstance that alters their attitude and determines a course of action that leads to fatal destruction. So sometimes you're better off not to say why. You're better off to just live it as life dishes it out and make the best of it. You follow what I'm saying? That is, that is so very important. So the reason why that that bitterness did not come to Jesus is because he saw the other dimension. In other words, he knew the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? He endured the cross. That was not the joy. The joy was not in the suffering. The joy was in the knowledge that he was suffering. Even though he was suffering wrongfully, he was suffering to set at liberty captive people like you and I who are enslaved to sin. So he saw that. And he knew that. And, and so he was not going to become a, a product uh, of, of bad thinking. And people get in a, a various frames of minds in which uh, they just become entrapped. Negative thinking. Uh, I know that uh, every now and then we won't have as many people receiving the Holy Ghost as what we should have. And in prayer, I just feel led to speak on this for a while so I can get people in the right frame of mind. In other words, they're thinking about souls being saved. They have faith. They, 
They have a burden when I'm preaching. They, they see people praying through at the altar. Uh, and almost all of their actions when they come to church lead me to believe that uh, they have faith that someone's going to be saved. You'll find out that in that particular time in which we are accentuating this, that uh, a lot of people that need salvation come. They do it because outside of the building, when people leave, they continually keep this on their mind. It's there all the time. How important this is. Uh, we'll have a good number of people that uh, all of a sudden just come up with physical uh, sicknesses and such. They need deliverance from them. need a healing. At that time, we talk about healing so that people will uh, get their mind on the Lord, who is the healer. You'll find that yeah, almost everything they do, the way they worship, everything is altered, changed, and they begin to believe that God can heal. Basically, what we say is, if you preach on miracles, you see miracles. If you preach on deliverance, you see deliverance. If you preach on salvation, you see the salvation. You can't stand... You could not stand behind the pulpit and, 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 and talk against people worshiping and expect people to worship. You couldn't stand behind the pulpit and deny that God is a healer and see people healed. You couldn't stand behind the pulpit and say that God doesn't deliver and see people delivered. So basically, all of life is pretty much controlled by what you put your faith in, by the way you think. And this is what... Uh, the proverb is all about, uh, <clears throat> as, as you well know, uh, every now and then I get on my horse and ride across the pasture. I, I personally enjoy riding. There is a bit that you put in the mouth to control the head. And if you control the head, you pretty much control the whole horse. And while we're not particularly talking about the brain, it is true, though, if you control the head of an individual, what happens? You pretty much control the individual. Now let's go back to Peter's epistle. And we'll just uh, uh, read one or two scriptures. Let's start at First Peter verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, I think this is a very, very important scripture because basically what he's saying is that there are times in which you need to stop everything from coming in and you need to refocus. In other words, the way you think about certain things. It's just so, so important. Uh, I guess there's no such thing as having a blank mind. Uh, every now and then I wonder about that. But uh, uh, for the most part I have been told that, <laughs> that there, there's, there's no such thing as having a blank mind. So you're going to have to be thinking about something. And, and I tell people who, especially people who are trying to be delivered from some physical habits, uh, drinking, smoking, and such, that uh, you know what you have to do when you start thinking about smoking a cigarette. You're going to have to compensate or overcompensate, maybe I should say, by putting your mind on something outside of the pleasure of smoking a cigarette. They say, well, what if I can't think of anything? It's, it's just dominating me so. Well, then think of the consequences of smoking a cigarette. Don't think of the pleasure of it. 
In other words, think about all of the lung patients, the people who have lung cancer. Think about some of the things, uh, some of the pamphlets you've read, some of the, uh, pick up the package of cigarette and read the warning by the Surgeon General on it, you know. Think, think of these, I mean, do something. Because if you only think of one aspect of it, and that's the appealing aspect of it, then, then what's going to happen? Uh, you, you're just simply going to become enslaved by that. That's just the way it is. Of course, I have uh, a method that I use. If people will follow it, it really works. It works 100% of the time. doesn't make any difference what your problem is. I have this one study I call Work Out Your Own Salvation. Uh, <clears throat> this is found in the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter. But I basically tell people that if they will commit their problem to God, if they will seek spiritual advice, uh, which is necessary in many cases, but not always necessary, sometimes you really don't know how to uh, approach a problem. That's where spiritual advice is necessary. Then the third thing is you make a scriptural study about your problem. Uh, the fourth thing, you memorize key scriptures. And the fifth thing, when trouble comes, you put the scripture into practice. And basically what you're doing, you are learning to control your life by living out the scripture. And uh, I have helped many bad marriages become wholesome marriages. I have also been able to talk to people about chronic health problems that they thought were, were somewhat psychological. Uh, I have helped people find jobs. I really mean that. In other words, they, they began to look at this in a different light. They'd, they'd searched and searched and searched for jobs, and they, they had no faith after studying in the Scripture. They went out, they had faith. I've had, helped people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost by, by quoting Scripture. You know, you can give people faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. Now, when I read the, this passage of Scripture that I'm, that I'm reading, you'll find that there is a particular goal that uh, Peter had in mind when he said, Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind, be so, sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right? As obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lust of your ignorance. But as he which hath called you as holy, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Now conversation here means behavior, not just the way you talk. It does include the way you talk, but it is not necessarily talking about uh, your conversation as we know conversation. All right, and then you will, you will see in verse 16, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now what he says, Gird up the loins of your mind. You notice the word grace is used there. Grace means unmerited favor, but it also means the divine leading of the heart. In this case, we would put the, the latter interpretation on grace simply because that if we stop all the outside influence and we let God lead us inwardly, that's what he's saying, then we can obtain, uh, or maybe I should say attain, 
the ultimate goal of being holy as God is holy. Now, when I say as God is holy, none of us will ever be holy in the respect that God is holy. But, but the Scripture does tell us that we need to take on the holiness of God. And the only way you can take up on the, take up on the holiness of God is to prohibit a lot of outside influence from coming into you. And you take God that's leading you inwardly, and you feast on that leading, and you allow that leading to come, and you say yes to that leading, after a while you will find that your conversation or your actions are pleasing to the Lord because they are directed to the Lord. The Bible says the steps of a good man are directed to the Lord. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, that God, when you get out, He says, take a right, take a left, take a right, take a left, and He's whispering in your ear. It simply means that, that if we stop all the outside influence and we follow the leading of the Spirit, that God will lead us and guide us into all truths. So the ultimate goal here is to be holy because God is holy. And you see, if there is no condemnation or guilt that comes to you, and that's what the Scripture said, uh, the Scripture tells us that, you know, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is no better feeling in all the world than the feeling of God's holiness becoming your holiness. Now, when I say your holiness, it's, it simply means that you claim His holiness as your very own. And holiness, if I understand it correctly, is not altogether just the way you dress outwardly. It does not eliminate that. But, but holiness, for the most part, because God is holy, and the word holy is the, is the summarization of all of God's attributes. In other words, God is love. God is long-suffering. God is gentle. God is kind. Uh, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, and then you look up the gifts of the Spirit, God is powerful, He's omnipresent, He's omniscient, you know, He's, he, he's everywhere, uh, He's all-powerful, He knows all, but when you look up all the attributes of God, there is one word that, that describes God in His totality, and that is, God is holy. It's like taking all of the fractions of, of one and adding them all together and then you see uh, what God is. God is holy. Now when the Bible tells us to be holy because God is holy, we take all of man, man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. Just like, you know, we're told that physically we are what we eat. Uh, uh, the inner man is a product uh, of his thinking as it is directed by the power of the Holy Ghost inwardly, which is grace. The divine leading of the heart. But man is body, his soul, and his spirit. So all of God, and we describe that as being holy, touching all of man, body, soul, and spirit, we describe that as being holiness. In other words, holiness is all of God touching all of man. And that's what he's talking about when he talks about the conversation. But he says all of God will never touch all of man if we cannot control the way we think. 
So if you have too many outside influences, you know, I'm, I'm, I talked about this two or three Sunday nights ago, and, and it's not that I want to just use this as, as my candy stick, but I, I, I talked about television. And uh, I know that some of you will not understand what I'm saying. Uh, you know, America's full of televisions. And I, the, the, I, do not, I have never said it's a sin to watch television. You may say, do you, you believe it is? I think it's wrong to watch the things that are wrong. It's sinful to watch the things that are sinful. But what I'm basically saying is that, that a constant diet, and this is the problem with having a television in your home, the constant diet of outside influence going into your mind will program you to become a product of the world. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe that with all my heart. You may say, Brother Grant, you're very narrow-minded. I know that. I don't take a lot of pride in that. There's a lot of things I don't know, but there is one thing that I want to be narrow-minded enough to stay on the straight and narrow, and I don't want to be so broad-minded my brains fall out. You follow what I'm saying? Now, in, in other words, that I, the devil can only be, as far as I can see, in one place at one time. He's not like God. He's not omnipresent. And I, I, I personally believe that there... The devil has many demons or angels, and uh, sometimes they do come to church with people, but for the most part, I doubt Lucifer himself has ever visited any one of you or me. Maybe some of his demons have. I said that to say this now. Because the devil is not omnipresent, he seeks means to make himself present among all people. And I don't know of any way that the devil has made himself as near like God being omnipresent as through the media or, should I say, television. Now you think about what I'm saying. This is a means in which the devil has become almost omnipresent to all people on the planet Earth. Now I made this statement, you know, I, 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 I want to go into this again because the message is about the way you think. And you become a product of what you submit yourself to. And let me say this again. I have never said it is a sin to watch television. You may say, well, why don't you say that? Because I don't believe that. I don't believe it would be any more of a sin for me to walk out in, or walk in the living room of your home and watch the president talk as it would be for me to go to the White House and walk in his office and hear him talk. I think you follow my line of logic there. I don't believe that. But what I am saying is this, that if you subject yourself to this constant diet, and, and television is very addicting. There are people that have a TV that has to be on from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. This is the reason why I tell uh, the families of, of our church, if you want to do yourself a favor and you want to do the world a favor, uh, take your television out and sit it by the street and make sure that it's all beat up so nobody else finds it. And let the junk men pick it up. Amen, Brother Grant. I'm going to give myself a hand on that. I, I, and I want to say this again. I, I do not feel, I even feel that there are certain things will do you harm if you addict yourself to them. 
Now, let, let me just let me just explain something. I, <laughs> you know, I like to fish and I like to hunt. I have a problem around hunting season. If I don't watch, it becomes an addiction. I get obsessed with it. Uh, if I was ever tempted to miss church, it'd be to go deer hunting. You follow what I'm saying? And I, I'm not saying that a man who takes his vacation and goes deer hunting during deer season and misses church is sinning. I'm not saying that. But I do know that it is easy. There some things are sinful as you make them sinful. And they're only sinful when you make them sinful. And there are certain things that you might watch that's not so sinful, but it becomes addicting to you because of this constant diet. It becomes an obsession. So if a program is viewing on Sunday night, you'd rather be there watching that than you would to be in the house of God worshiping the Lord. You follow what I'm saying? Now some of you have deep furrows in your brows right now. Lift your eyebrows and smile. <laughs> you, can, you can't frown when your eyebrows are down. This is just, you know. You ever tried to smile with your eyebrows down? Try it. Put them down. It doesn't work, does it? You've got to lift them up. <laughs> All right. Pick up your eyebrows and smile. <clears throat> this is not going to kill you. It's not going to choke you to death. All right. <clears throat> so I, I think you follow what I'm saying, that there are so many influences. There's so many voices in the world that control the way we think, the way we view things. And we become a product of that. And, and so many times we can't be what God wants us to be because the voice of God is totally drowned out. It's, it's not, it just simply is not there. Now, the ultimate goal that, that Peter's talking about is to take on the holiness of God so that you are pure and clean and you live without guilt and you live without condemnation. He said the only way you can do that is to do what? Gird up the loins of your mind. That, that, that's necessary. All right, let's go to something else. Let's turn to Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. This is something that, that a lot of people <clears throat> uh, uh, have their mind on. Let's back up to verse 7. The Bible says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, you will find, if you, if you study... The fruit of the Spirit, you will find that there are certain parts of the character of God that's responsible for certain actions of yours, or should I say, uh, certain attitudes of yours, certain segments of your life. Uh, in other words, you can't separate uh, certain attributes of God from certain uh, consequences, or maybe I should say results, not consequences. For an example, peace and government, if you study that in the Bible, they go hand in hand. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, verse 6. But in Isaiah 9, 7, the Bible says, And of his peace and government, of the increase of his peace and government, government there shall be no end. So if a man, if a man uses a particular character trait of God, let's say the peace of God... Uh, if he uses that to govern his heart, then he's going to be assured that, that, that he will be a man that uh, will be moderate in most things. Uh, he won't lose his composure. He won't 
lose his temper. He won't get bent out of shape all the time. You follow what I'm saying? If you notice verse 5, let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto the Lord. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.15, the Bible doesn't say, let the God of peace, but it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, verse 8, listen to this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, and if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and one of the signs of the last days, men shall cry, Peace, peace, then sudden destruction. And basically what we're saying is that, that you can't keep your mind on war, and you can't keep your mind on people's faults, and you can't keep your mind on some, some long logic of, of, of criticism that somebody gave, and, and, and yet have peace in your heart. You can't do that. Uh, what you have to do, if you want peace in your heart, you've got to control the way you think. Now notice what he says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, don't think of all the false religion that's in the world today. I mean, you, you can't do that. And I know that there is a point in, in which these things need to be brought up, but I get all kinds of newsletters and periodicals and such, and they're constantly pointing out the bad things of people. The bad thing. First place, I can't do a whole lot about what everybody else does. But I know what affects me. And I do know this, that I can read some of those things, and I get so upset and so disturbed. And I can pray and pray, and the more I pray about some of these things, the worse I get. And after a while, I've got heartburn. I'm irritable. When I preach, I take out my... I pick on people with my preaching. Now, you, you probably didn't know I ever did that, did you? Because you never felt that, did you? <clears throat> you? You follow what I'm saying? In other words, if you accentuate the bad above the good, guess what happens? You feel like Chicken Little. The sky's falling. It's going to fall right on top of all of us. Nothing good is happening in the world today. I asked one lady one time, have you, have you prayed about it? And she said, oh yes. I said, what happened? She said, it got worse. Dead serious. I, I said, does anything ever happen good to you? She said, well, I don't recall. I got so aggravated when I got in the car. My wife said, what in the world's wrong with you? I said, she'd make a good cover girl for the book of Lamentations. <clears throat> Whatsoever things are honest. There's a lot of crooked things going on in the world today. You can keep your mind on all that stuff. But you know what you're doing then? You're robbing yourself of that beautiful element of peace. 
Now, the reason why, if you look down at the end of it, if there be any praise, think on these things. That's the last part of verse 8 and verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. All you have to do to keep yourself stirred up. And you know, all the church needs, or all this world needs, is one other person that's stirred up about something. Now there are certain things you need to get stirred up, but you need to do it in a constructive way. And, and let me say this, it's pretty easy when you get stirred up, and you look at your actions, what you're doing to cure that. I think we should get stirred up about certain things, but when... When, when you are seeking a route to, vindic, uh, or, or to express yourself, maybe I should say, you should ask yourself, are there any redemptive qualities involved in this? In other words, am I trying to help or am I just trying to hurt? Of course, gossip, you know, you know what gossip is. Gossip is just sharing this information and there's no redemptive qualities. In other words, you're telling this because you'd like for this person to get upset at this other person. Because the more people that get upset with this person, the worse the whole church is going to feel about this person. And what we'd like to do is destroy him. In other words, there's no redemptive qualities involved. So instead of going over to somebody's house and getting a few people together and saying, we need a prayer meeting because something serious is going on with this person and we're going to get into a deep mode of intercession with God to see that this person doesn't go any deeper into what they're doing. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people that just get on the phone and, and you know, burn somebody's ear up. In other words, you always, when you're stirred up and you look at, the, at your own actions, you should ask yourself this one question. Are there any redemptive qualities involved in my actions? Am I trying to help instead of hurt? Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report. I like to hear the good report. Did you know what the gospel is? Anybody know what the gospel is? The gospel is the good news. There's another word that, that goes real close to gospel. You know what it is? It's gossip. The gossip is the bad news. The gospel is the good news. There's no redemptive qualities in the gossip. There's redemptive qualities in the good news. Why? Because the good news is, regardless of what you have done, where you have been, what you have thought on, what you have become, that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is able to cleanse you and make you free and set you free and put you on the right path and cleanse your soul and make you holy as God is holy and give you peace inside. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My, 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 isn't God good? Praise God. I don't know if I'm making any sense today. I'm covering such a broad subject. But uh, something that's just definitely been on my mind. Don't become entrapped. Some of you are entrapped by circumstances in life. and You just seem not to be able to get out of it. You know, just over and over and over, circumstances are pushing you and tugging at you. And 
you're going to have to set your mind on good things and wholesome things. Philippians 2, let's just look at this. <clears throat> Philippians 2, <clears throat> let's start reading verse 1. Now we can read this whole chapter and there's one word, or a word and a deviation from that word is found in this chapter. If there be if there if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. In other words, you should think of your brothers better than you. <clears throat> you know that? So remember this when you're talking about somebody. You're violating one important principle found in the Scripture, and that is you're not esteeming your brother higher than yourself. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion of as, a man, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And to the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right? Now, this is the scripture that I quoted earlier. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Let all things do, let all, uh, do all things, pardon me, without murmuring and disputings. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. All right, now, we're getting into it. Holding the of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. Now, if you keep reading, you'll find this word joy cropping up over and over and over and over and over. Now, basically, if you read this and you look for the one key word in this passage of Scripture, it's the word joy or a takeoff from that, rejoice. Now, if this be true, then, what is the secret? In other words, if the goal is to... To have joy, and I don't know of anyone that doesn't want joy. It even makes a good name. I have known some ladies with the name Joy. It's a, it's a wonderful name. And Joyce, which is a takeoff of rejoice. 
All right, look at this. All right. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it talks about Jesus who gave himself to others. Basically what he's saying is a man who's wrapped up in the package of self is wrapped up in a miserable, miserable package. When he becomes a servant to others, this is when he begins to be happy. When a man gives himself to the cause of others, he becomes happy. Isn't that something? And, 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 it, it, and what controls it? Just the way the man thinks, his attitude toward life and toward other people. It's been a while since I've done this, but I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter of the Bible. And uh, this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 13. The key word in this is, is love. In other words, the, the, the real goal... I say the goal. The goal is to have love. But here's how you have it. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. I'm starting with verse 4. Pardon me. I think I told you that. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked up. Now, provoked rather. Now, the fruit of the Spirit that's found in Galatians 5 is the character of God. And one character trait of God is what? Love. And character is described as what you are. That's what you are. Okay? Now, if we want to find out if this is really the character of God, let's put the name Jesus in there. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 would read like this. Jesus suffereth long, and Jesus is kind. Jesus envieth not. Jesus vaunteth not himself. Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave himself unseemly. Jesus seeks not his own. Jesus is not easily provoked. Jesus thinks no evil. Jesus rejoices not in iniquity, but Jesus rejoices in truth. Jesus bears all things. He believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. He endures all things. Jesus never fails. Now, does that sound like Jesus? course the ultimate goal is for you to become like Jesus and and I know that when you measure yourself with Jesus it seems so unfair at times but if we do not measure ourselves with a correct standard there is indeed uh, the possibility of having many many glaring flaws so when you measure yourself, you put your own name in this. My name happens to be John. Put your name in there. Verse 4. John suffers long and John is kind. John envies not. John is not, or John vaunteth not himself. He is not easily puffed up. John does not behave himself unseemly. He seeks not his own. He is not easily provoked. John thinks no evil. John rejoices in iniquity. No, he rejoices not in iniquity. Follow him. 
John thinks evil. No, you shouldn't think evil. John rejoices in falsehoods, lies, no truth. John bears all things. John believes all things. John hopes all things. John endures all things. John fails many times. John never fails. Now, basically what we've done, we've just challenged you today in thinking correctly. Now, I know we have people here of all walks of life, and some of you have never been in this church before, and you never heard me speak. When I talk about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, when I talk about new birth, perhaps some of you never even heard of this. I did talk about the grace of God and girding up the loins of your mind, letting God talk with you inwardly so that all these voices from without do not come to you. Basically, I said all that to say this. Did you know that God's Holy Spirit can draw you to himself today if you'll just listen? Did you know that God can break you away from a train of thinking and make a new creature out of you? Did you know that God can put so many redemptive qualities in your life that will bring peace and joy and love? There are all kinds of programs in the world today. The big, big question now is if you... If you, t- if you rob America from, if you take the guns away from America, will you, will you help the criminal? That's a big question because some people are beginning to see that, that crime is not about guns. It's about evil, intense attitudes that are in the hearts of people. I want you to stand with me. Our praise singers will come and we will begin singing here in just a few moments. Let me talk with you from the very depths of my heart. You know, God can save you today. You know, God wants to save you. If you are tired of life, disgusted with the way that life is going with you, Did you know you can start all over today? Did you know that? If inside of you there is always this gnawing contentment and you're always reaching out for something and when you get a hold of it, it seemingly is not there, I can tell you that you can get a hold of something today that will always be there and it will always be satisfying. That's Jesus Christ. So we're going to give you the opportunity to come and give your heart to God. As our praise singers begin to pray, all you need to do is step out in the center aisle or on the side aisle and walk down the front and just stand here on the dark carpet. Somebody will come and stand beside you and pray with you and talk with you and instruct you. Why don't you come on right now and give your heart to the Lord. Here's my cup, Lord.
thank you, God. Yes, Lord. All right. Somebody else come. Step right out. Right where you are. Come on. Bread of heaven. give your heart to God today? Do you know that Jesus is coming back? And He wants to take you to be in His presence forever and ever and ever. But you must be born again. This is the day that it can happen to you. Come on, step out. Right now, right where you are. God bless these who are coming. Come on, others may come. You still have enough time. Now somebody come and pray with these people that have come. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Some of you ladies come and pray with this lady who's come. Carolyn, I think her name is. Come and pray with her. All right. I lift it up, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come and quench this thirsty of my There's still enough time for you to come, and there's room for you here at the altar today. Come on, right now. Here's my cup. God bless all of these people who are coming.